You're listening to Expanding Horizons, the podcast of the Unitarian Church of South Australia, a home of progressive spirituality and free religious thought and action since 1854. The views expressed in these podcasts are those of the speaker and are not intended to represent the position of the church itself or of the worldwide Unitarian Universalist movement. For more information, visit unitariansa.org.au. gather around has represented many things, including the life energy, what Carl Jung called the libido, not just the sexual cliché, but the animating life force that drives us on, that compels us to go on and endure and thrive, the energy that gets us out of bed in the mornings. Let us be grateful for that. So we come to candles of joys and concerns. It is a fact of life on this earth, but the ray of sunshine through all of this for which we can be grateful is the tremendous amount of caring, of wonderful care provided by the health system, by friends and family and neighbours and by people in this group right here. So for all of those people who have been mentioned, they are in our hearts and our prayers and we wish for peace and comfort and healing. Now I'll ask Pauline to come up with the reading for today. Thanks, Pauline. The reading today is from one of William Blake's Proverbs from the Marriage of Heaven and Hell. The ancient poets animated all sensible objects with gods or geniuses, calling them by the names and adorning them with the properties of woods, rivers, mountains, lakes, cities, nations, and whatever their enlarged or numerous senses could perceive. And particularly they studied the genius of each city and country, placing it under its mental deity, till a system was formed which some took advantage of and enslaved the vulgar by attempting to realise or abstract the mental deities from their objects. Thus began the priesthood, choosing forms of worship from poetic tales. And at length they pronounced that the gods had ordered such things. Thus, people forgot that all deities reside in the human breast. And on the screen is, the, is William Blake's writing of that piece that Pauline read with his illustration, uh, so often featuring beautiful colours of nature and ghostly human figures. William Blake is one of the most visionary English poets. Born in 1757 in humble circumstances in London, he died in 1827. 
As a child, Blake had visions, seeing God and angels. He learned to read and write at home because his parents took him out of school. At age 10, he returned to school, but then, at age 14, he was required to begin earning an income, so he became an apprentice with an engraver. By that time, he had already started writing poetry, some of it simple, some of it fantastical. His poetry writing was often accompanied by an original style of coloured engraving. Blake believed in Jesus and God, but was scornful of the established priesthood. His anti-establishment predisposition went further than that. He reveled in passionate energy and creative imagination to the point of disdain for science and clinical reasoning. The way he saw the world, human beings were naturally gifted with passions which would bring them joy, but the education system, the drudgery of life and the moralistic church numbed people and thwarted their passions so that they became dull and obedient. From this dichotomy, Blake developed a body of poetry separated into two parts, songs of experience and songs of innocence. For him, heaven and hell also reflected this dichotomy between the moralising, chastising, confining forces and a childlike exuberance and delight in life. He put it this way, quote, Men are admitted into heaven not because they have curbed and governed their passions or have no passions, but because they have cultivated their understandings. The treasures of heaven are not negations of passion, but realities of intellect, from which all the passions emanate uncurbed in their eternal glory. In some ways, Blake's outlook can be understood as a sensitive person's response to the London of 200 to 250 years ago. Industrialisation was becoming more evident in people's lives as the cities became a network of factories and mass transportation. At the same time, understanding of the laws of physics, chemistry and biology were inducing a mechanistic understanding of the world. God, having once set the world in motion, appeared to leave humanity to its own devices. Blake was appalled by this mechanistic and materialistic view of life. He saw the spirit of life being crushed in the factories and the schools of rote learning and corporal punishment and in the confines of marriage. He spoke up for the rights of women, the emancipation of slaves, and he was excited by the idealism of the French Revolution. He associated with radicals like Thomas Paine and Mary Wollstonecroft. Preoccupation with his visions and his art did not leave him time or inclination for political action, however. He said, quote, I'm really sorry to see my countrymen trouble themselves about politics. If men were wise, the most arbitrary princes could not hurt them. If they are not wise, the freest government is compelled to be a tyranny. Princes appear to me to be fools. Houses of commons and houses of lords appear to me to be fools. They seem to me to be something else besides human life. What's changed, people say. Um, his best known poems were written in the 1790s, including the Songs of Innocence and Experience and The Marriage of Heaven and Hell. 
His works included many aphorisms as well. As he grew older, his spiritual vision deepened and he produced major works such as Jerusalem and Milton. Although some of the other poets of the time thought him insane, Blake somewhat explained his visions by recounting, well, a vision. Quote, The prophets Isaiah and Ezekiel dined with me, and I asked them how they dared so roundly to assert that God spoke to them, and whether they did not think at the time that they would be misunderstood and so be the cause of imposition. Isaiah answered, I saw no God, nor heard any, in a finite organical perception, but my senses discovered the infinite in everything, and as I was then persuaded and remain confirmed that the voice of honest imagination is the voice of God, I cared not for consequences, but wrote. Blake realised the majesty of his poetic realm was not for everyone. He wrote, quote, What is grand is necessarily obscure to weak men. That which can be made explicit to the idiot is not worth my care. Blake's imagination was fed by various philosophies and esoteric sources. In her biography of Blake, Kathleen Rain wrote that, quote, Blake was widely read in the writings of Plato and Plotinus, Berkeley and the Hermetica, Paracelsus and Flood, and the mystical theology of Bohm and Swedenborg. The marriage of heaven and hell is the fruit of his profound studies of the mystical theology of Bohm, the alchemical writings of Paracelsus, Flood and Agrippa, and his knowledge of the Western esoteric tradition. Blake referred to these esoteric authors as his, quote, spiritual friends. Among his real-life friends was Thomas Taylor, a bank clerk who translated works of Plato in his spare time. In lengthy poetic epics, Blake developed his own mythology of the creation of the earth and the contest of forces upon it as we live our lives. Blake's vision of creation commences in the void before there is any material thing. In a kind of cosmic error, the ultimate being develops a self-awareness, which has the effect of separating itself in thought from the totality, which it truly is. This separated aspect of the Godhead begins to create thought forms for itself, creating rules and order for itself. It conceives restraint and even the concept of religion and sin. At this stage, Eurizen, as it is called by Blake, is but a shadow of its ultimate self. Bearing a compulsion to create order and restraint, which can never apply to its eternal self, this kind of God separates itself even further into the world of space and time. To every action there is a reaction, however, and out of the ultimate being another form of God takes shape, 
Blake calls this being Los, L-O-S, like Christians might think of the Holy Spirit. Its function is to mitigate the harm caused by Urizen. Whereas Urizen is the eternal priest, Los is the eternal prophet. Los does not condemn Urizen, however, but rather has eternal pity. What Blake calls pity, we might call compassion. Upon the creation of human beings, and Blake describes poetically his own version of Adam and Eve, human beings find they are in a sealed world, separated from the eternal essence by a void. From an early stage, humanity suffers under the yoke imposed by the men who proclaim science, reason and morality. When the equivalent of Adam in this epic poem, questions the creator god, Urizen. Urizen replies, quote, Read my books. Explore my constellations. Inquire of my sons, and they shall teach thee how to war. Inquire of my daughters, who, accursed in the dark depths, need bread of sorrow by my stern command, for I am God. Grim stuff. So all of this can be pretty hard to take for us inheritors of the Enlightenment, conditioned as we are to assess our problems with a scientific approach of the rational mind. Blake really was scornful of the reliance upon the scientific and the rational. He found the answers to life in human passions, joys and the creative imagination. I'm going to ask you today to turn to the person next to you, or front or behind you, to see or if you have your own experience of this innocence versus the order imposed by society. What do you think of Blake's dichotomy? I'll give you a few minutes to chat among yourselves. And I'll just ask you please to round off that conversation as the musicians come up to play us a piece. I know Unitarians will talk for hours if you let them. Despite Blake's grim account of the material world, his works are imbued with a joy and a hope of deliverance. He sees the spirit everywhere, and although it is restrained everywhere, it keeps bursting through. He wrote, Love to faults is always blind, always is to joy inclined. 
lawless, winged and unconfined, and breaks all chains from every mind. As I said before, Blake was a believer in Christ, but not in the church. He was particularly averse to the moralising, inhibiting, mainstream Anglican church of the day. You might detect this in his poem, The Garden of Love. I went to the Garden of Love and saw what I had never seen. A chapel was built in the midst where I used to play on the green. And the gates of this chapel were shut and thou shalt not writ over the door. So I turned to the Garden of Love that so many sweet flowers bore and I saw it was filled with graves and tombstones where flowers should be. And priests in black gowns were walking their rounds and binding my, with briars my joys and desires. Blake saw salvation in good works, in caring for others. He wrote, I sought my God and my God I couldn't find. I sought my soul and my soul eluded me. I sought to serve my friend in need and I found all three my God, my soul, and thee. Like the Buddhists who see the material world as a massive illusion, Blake did not fear departure from it. He wrote, I cannot consider death as anything but a removing from one room to another. I return to the songs of innocence and experience that Blake wrote in his 30s. The world may be viewed in two ways, both with an inherent truth, you may well think. From the songs of innocence, I read The Lamb. From the songs of experience, Tiger, Tiger. Little lamb, who made thee? Dost thou know who made thee? Gave thee life and bid thee feed by the stream and o'er the mead? Gave thee clothing of delight? Softest clothing, woolly, bright, gave thee such a tender voice, making all the vales rejoice. Little lamb, who made thee? Dost thou know who made thee? Little lamb, I'll tell thee. Little lamb, I'll tell thee. He is called by thy name, for he calls himself a lamb. He is meek and he is mild. He became a little child. I, a child, and thou, a lamb, we are called by his name. Little lamb, God bless thee. Little lamb, God bless thee. Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forests of the night. What immortal hand or eye could frame thy fearful symmetry? In what distant deeps or skies burnt the fire of thine eyes? On what wings dare he aspire? What the hand dare seize the fire? And what shoulder and what art could twist the sinews of thy heart? And when thy heart began to beat, what dread hand and what dread feet? What the hammer, what the chain, in what furnace was thy brain? What the anvil, what dread grasp dare its deadly terrors clasp? When the stars threw down their spears and watered heaven with their tears, 
Did he smile his work to see? Did he who made the lamb make thee? Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forests of the night, what immortal hand or eye dare frame thy fearful symmetry? Like a lot of artists and politicians, Blake was probably quite difficult to live with. He married Catherine Boucher when he was 25 years old. He taught her to read and write, and she apparently maintained a great love and devotion for him throughout their married life. By all accounts, Catherine was the one who took care of all worldly needs to the point of ensuring that Blake dressed properly when he went out of the house. I don't know why the minister's wife laughed at that when I read it to her. (laughs) After his death, it was Catherine who ordered his works out and promoted the publication. If not for her support of Blake and promotion of his works, he may not have achieved such significance in the canon of English poetry. And so we finish, thank you to our musicians, with a song which is a testament to Catherine Boucher. The writer Frank Turner wanted to particularly thank her for her contribution in allowing William Blake to come to us. I hope you've enjoyed this Expanding Horizons podcast. These podcasts are the intellectual property of the presenter. They can be used only with the express permission and appropriate acknowledgement of the presenter. This permission can be obtained by emailing admin at unitariansa.org.au. Please feel free to leave a comment or visit us on Facebook or Twitter by searching SA Unitarians or by visiting our website at unitariansa.org.au.